Welcome to the Why Your Bank Sucks podcast. My name is James Bach, and I'm here to tell you why your bank does in fact suck very much. As of today, 1,887 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. Thank you so very much for that. Really means a lot. You know, I've been doing this for about a year now. The first um, Why Your Bank Sucks podcast was about a year ago um, today, so happy anniversary to us, by the way. And in that time, I think we've really um, steered the conversation into something pretty good. You know, a lot of people have issues with big banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and the lot. And, you know, they've always had issues with them. And, of course, you know, 11 years ago with the bailouts and whatnot, you know, people started to kind of talk about it on social media and the Internet and everything. But I think now... More people are intelligent when it comes to when they're being screwed over. And I really think the conversations that we have on Twitter um, are really meaningful. And I think they're starting to fundamentally change uh, people's perspectives on not necessarily, you know, what's going on with big banks, but why they do what they do. And I, and I know this from the perspective of working there for 13 years at Bank of America, working for one of the biggest companies in the world. Seeing it firsthand, seeing how they treated us as employees, seeing how they treated customers, you start to see that that change. I started to see that change a few years ago, and that that scent, that stench of just poor relationships with you know staff and customers, it was prevalent as I left Bank of America. And as I sit here, you know, talking to people on Twitter, talking to people on Facebook, just talking to people about banking in general, because I love talking about this stuff, I'm starting to see a sea change. I'm starting to see people not be afraid to challenge a Bank of America or Wells Fargo when something's going on. You know, they, they understand that their voice is powerful as long as they know how to use it. Yours truly, James Baca, with Vigilante Customer Service. I try to do that as much as I could. We um, helped someone um, named Myra rescue a few hundred dollars um, from Bank of America. She lives in Dallas, Texas. She was asleep with her wallet in her pocket, debit card in that wallet, while someone was using a duplicated debit card of hers um, at a Dick Sporting Goods in the Dallas area, which was across town from where she was at. But she was asleep. You know, she can prove where she was at and everything. Bank of America declined her fraud claim. We um, we pushed and we pushed and we fought hard. And within a day, I got her money back. Vigilante customer service for Wire Bank Sucks, the notorious banker, whatever you want to call my project, my projects, is over half a million dollars of money rescued from Bank of America and Wells Fargo since April 1st. Now, it's almost a year. It's going to be about 10 months now since I started doing this vigilante customer service, and half a million dollars is a drop in the bucket to a Bank of America. But you know what? It's not a drop in the bucket to the people we helped get their money back. $510,000 recovered as a result of my hard work, as a result of the trust that my followers have in me to get them a conversation, to get them to someone who can actually pay attention to them, not the people that blow you off. And I love that. The reason why I wanted to start it with a little intro here, because today's topic in this podcast is something that I literally read three hours ago, and there is a, a bit part of me, I'm going to say about a 40% part of me, that Bank of America started doing something with their fraud protection and their fraud claims department that I know that they never did in 13 years of working there. And if it's new within the last six months, I firmly believe that Wirebank Sucks, this podcast, at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, 
has a direct result of Bank of America changing their policy on how they deal with fraud claims. It's insane. And and like I said, working there as long as I as I have, as I did, I I can't believe what they're doing now. And after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to talk to you about this Wall Street Journal article that was just really amazing. And it was from uh, Sarah Krause of the Wall Street Journal. And it was posted um, early this morning, January 31st. Opened my eyes because it dealt with a couple of things that I am very familiar with. Fraud claims with Bank of America, both as an employee, as a customer too, to be honest with you, and as an advocate on Twitter. Old people, and I, I hate using the phrase like that, elderly people, I guess I should say, uh, who are susceptible to scams. And the lack of service in between, from between the customer and that bank. It's really scary. It's really frustrating. I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of this article. I'm gonna break down uh, what Bank of America is making customers do now, and I really think it has to do with us. So um, after this brief promotional consideration, I'll be back with that. So please stick around. Hey everyone, this is James Baca, the host of the Wire Bank Sucks podcast and the Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on Patreon. That's Patreon.com/NotoriousBanker. For as little as $1 a month, you can join the ever-growing list of supporters for my project. As you know, the Notorious Banker and Wire Bank Sucks projects offer a blend of vigilante customer service, entertaining posts about the financial services industry, and a unique take on what's going on with the big banks of America that yours truly, a former bank manager, can only bring you. The Wire Bank Sucks podcast and the Vigilante Customer Service I provide have rescued almost $500,000 from big banks back into the pockets of my listeners, of my followers as well. It's an amazing thing that I'm proud of, and it's the hard work that I put in knowing policy, knowing strategy, knowing how to help people who are in need, things that my former company and other big banks don't know how to do. If you've been impacted by bad banking, that's great. Sign up to patreon.com slash notoriousbanker for as little as $1 and get the insight that not a lot of people have. Even if you've never been impacted by big banks, a donation will help others in need. So patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. Make a donation today. Support the Wire Bank Sucks podcast. Support the Notorious Banker. I'm here to fight for you guys. One dollar a month will get me to where I need to be. So thank you so very much. All right, I'm back. So really quick before I get on topic with today's topic, I want to give a shout out to um, a person named Joanne who is a follower of mine on Twitter at Bank Better Guy, and I want to tell her how grateful I am for her and how thankful I am for her because she made a donation to our project at Bank Better Guy, and it's allowing me to continue to function and operate the way that I need to, okay? You know, money's kind of tight right now. I'm looking for more sponsors. I'm looking for more people to support this great project that I have. And the fact of the matter is, I posted something about a financial need. She made a, a donation in honor of her friend Cheryl. Um, we we are due to talk about big banks and how they've impacted both her and her friend really soon. But I couldn't start a podcast um, without thanking her for allowing me to help others. And what I mean by that is patreon.com slash notorious banker. Any donations you want to give through PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, I'm all about that. I'm really grateful and thankful to the people who do support me because there are several of you, and I will get to you uh, very shortly at the end of this podcast as well. But there's so many people that have contributed that allow me to continue to operate. 
And if we get more of those as we get bigger and bigger, then this is going to be a full-time job for me, guys. I will fight for you as a full-time job. That's how much I really believe in the Notorious Banker, why your bank sucks. Everything that I do is all built into, you know what, I want to do it for you. But you know what, I still got to pay the internet. I still got to pay my car insurance. I still got to pay, you know, the electric bills. So if I can take care of those things, I, I live a happy life without all of, you know, the little creature comforts. I know how to survive. I came from uh, relatively meager means and I am fine where I'm at now. I'm living large, to be quite honest with you. Um, to some people, it wouldn't be living large, but from where I grew up to where I'm at now, I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. But any donations are welcome. Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker. So after two minutes of that, <laughs> sorry about that. I just wanted to shout out an awesome person. Uh, there was an amazing Wall Street Journal article that just dropped. And um, full disclosure, I will be blunt with you. I have talked to a couple of pe people within the Wall Street Journal just about my project. I haven't necessarily done an interview. I've just talked to them on Twitter. So I really hope that if they are listening, you know, hey, how are you doing? And I really want to talk more about my project and what I do for people. Because this crazy long story that was posted today has everything to do with why your bank sucks. has everything to do with a notorious banker in the sense that this is what I fight for people for. But things that I learned myself with this article have really blown my mind. The name of this article is, After he fell for a 40,000 phone scam, his bank offered a help if he stayed quiet. And then the sub-headline is, Billions of robocalls are resulting in thousands of fraudulent wire transfers. More on that in a bit. Some banks make victims sign confidentiality agreements, which may limit public awareness of how widespread the scams have become. Now the subheadline, I'm I'm all for that. It, it it's telling a story through the perspective of a reporter, and I get that. I will tell you the perspective of a former banker and the perspective of the host of the Wire Bank Sucks podcast, the host of you know the other podcast, Notorious Banker, and at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. When they say we'll limit public awareness of how widespread the scams have become, I see it totally different way. Okay, so it limits public awareness of how crappy bank customer service has been in protecting their clients. And the previous sentence in that subheadline where it talks about billions of robocalls are resulting in thousands of fraudulent wire transfers, that's why I fight for my customers because fraudulent wire transfers are something, it takes two to tango, okay? So it takes a banker to do a wire transfer and it takes a customer to say, hey, I want to send all my money to this person over here. So um, I'm not going to read the whole article because, frankly, I want you to pick up the Wall Street Journal or go to their website and check it out. But I am going to talk about some of the bullet points that I saw in this article. First couple of paragraphs are the things that just intrigued me and it kept me um, glued to this article today. Bank of America Corporation told a 92-year-old customer that it would attempt to recover nearly $40,000 he lost to a phone scam but only after the man signed legal papers promising not to discuss the fraud or sue the bank. The bank couldn't guarantee it would recoup any of the money, but under the terms of the agreement, if the elderly man is asked about the funds he sent scammers or efforts to recover it, he must say, quote, the matter has been resolved, according to a copy of the document reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Oh my god, okay, so this blows my mind. I worked at Bank of America from December 7, 2005 until August 17, 2018. A third of my adult life was spent working for Bank of America Corporation. 
Half of that was spent as a banker, as a salesperson, as a person who would be privy to such documents and agreements whenever someone had fraud. As of August 17, 2018, I have never seen this document that um, they're talking about in the Wall Street Journal. I'm not saying it's it's not true. I know it's true. I know Bank of America is making people do that because, hey, it's it's in the news. It's being reported. Here's the thing. I don't ever recall seeing a confidentiality agreement on a fraud case or to open up a fraud case. There's never anything for a customer to sign ever in that case. You know, there's affidavits that'll come and it'll basically say, check a box. Was this something you authorized, but they overcharged you? Was it a duplicate charge? Was your account stolen? Was your account hacked? They never had this thing that said, yeah, before we talk, I want you to sign this. And um, with this agreement, basically, you got to just say the matter's been resolved. You can't, you can't talk to people about it. You can't talk to people about if it's been resolved or anything like that. And what's what's crazy about it they say that they can't guarantee it would recoup any of the money yet you're supposed to say the matter has been resolved what what balls pardon my french so early in the podcast here the bank of america has a document where you are supposed to say the matter has been resolved even though the bank is saying that they can't guarantee that they'll get your money back pisses me off okay so i want to get to the wire transfer part of this uh, really quick because it's really intriguing to me August 2018, my last month at Bank of America, I'm closing up shop at one branch, getting ready to get transferred to another branch because supposedly I had a job lined up for me over there. We're not as busy as we once were at my old branch, so they said, James, take all of your training because it's going to be crazy at the other branch in September and everything as we transition. And um, something had popped up about a week before we closed down um, at my branch, and it was a new wire, um, wire training. So I don't recall everything to specific detail about that training, but the one thing that I do recall, and this was on a conference call that I had um, the Friday before we closed down, are wire transfers are now your responsibility as a banker to make sure that they're not fraud. So basically what Bank of America did was anytime someone came to your office and said, here's this information, send it to Joe Blow in another state, and you type it in, you verify that everything's correct, you send the wire, you get it approved by your manager, if it comes back that that customer was duped, and they fight back, and they file a fraud claim, and it ends up being a loss on the bank, because we didn't do enough to protect that customer from fraud, I could lose my job. I would get written up for that being fraud, even though, one, the person didn't know who the hell they were sending it to. And two, all I was doing was typing in information that the customer gave me. Now, I can tell a customer saying, hey, this looks kind of weird. I don't know if you should send this because it just looks it looks kind of fishy. And I want you to double check before we send it because this money's leaving Bank of America. And if the customer said, Yo, yeah, sure, everything's fine. What am I supposed to do then? So basically, the training was telling me that I'm screwed either way. If I input the wire and I send it out and it comes back as fraud, I'm going to lose my job regardless. So I asked my boss at the time, and, she, you know, she's an awesome an awesome boss. And she wasn't technically my boss, but she was the branch manager. So, you know, I even though we were technically equal roles, according to Bank of America, I would, you know, I would treat her as, as a superior because she had worked at the bank longer, and I trusted her, her thoughts, you know, because she was smart. And I told her, I said... 
why are they doing this with the wires? Why are they pinning it on us if it comes back as fraud? I was like, that's not fair because I'm only putting the information in that the person gives me. So how does that fall back on me? I'm literally just a person typing letters into a keyboard. And she says, well, you know what I think? I think that Bank of America doesn't want to do wires anymore. I think they want to get out of the wire game. And, you know, there's a lot to that, what she said, because I I felt that wires were kind of discouraged through all the things that Bank of America offers, Zelle being one of them, and, of course, person-to-person transfers using online banking and everything. Wires, you know, they're expensive. They cost $30 to send. If you receive a wire, it costs $15 just to receive the money. So even if someone sent you a wire against your will, you're getting charged $15 for something that you didn't ask for. It's crazy. But wires were just something that was a pain. You have someone in the lobby. Um, yeah, Mr. Johnson needs to do a wire. <sighs> okay, Mr. Johnson, I'll help him in a little bit. Knowing that that's going to take up half an hour of my time and screw up my sales goals, I would still have to do the wire. And now the even crappier thing is Bank of America is telling me that if Mr. Johnson is sending his money to some scammer and I submit the wire, that I can lose my job just for submitting the wire. I'm like... That's like Russian roulette. <laughs> I, I could have not helped him and someone else would have got fired just for typing in the same things. So that part just boggles my mind when I read about this wire transfer thing. But the thing that bugs me is the confidentiality agreement because uh, one of the things that the Notorious Banker, Wire Bank Sucks, Vigilante Customer Service, all the things that I do fight for is I, I've said it a million times. Bank of America does not fight for you when you have fraud. It's basically a, a risk assessment or a loss assessment. They say, well... James Baca here, he's unemployed, he has about five grand in his accounts, he has a credit card bill that's X, he has um, no other loans, and it looks like his credit score is pretty bad. Yeah, we're going to deny his claim, because basically, when they deny your claim, and this is my personal opinion, okay, when they deny my fraud claim, say I was this older man, what am I going to do? Am I going to call the cops on the bank for denying my claim? No. Am I going to protest? Maybe I'll protest, but it doesn't mean anything. But you know what ultimately you're going to do? Say, you know what? You guys didn't protect my money. Screw you guys. I'm closing out my account. <laughs> Fine. We didn't want you anyway, Bank of America says. They wanted you to leave because at the end they're like, you know what? We squeezed the crap out of this lemon and there's no more juice out of it. So we're, we're done with James Baca. That's how they think of fraud claims. So the fraud claims department, in my personal opinion, has always been, uh, hey, let's give this person a good up and down. If we give them their money back, can we get anything out of them? Do they look like they're in a position to buy a home? Do they look like they're in a position to invest in Merrill Lynch, for instance? Yeah? Okay, yeah, send it to our best fraud claim specialist. And all of a sudden, some of these things get resolved. But some of them don't. Here's the fact of the matter that I've said, and I've done a whole podcast about this, guys. Bank of America does not like old people because old people do old-timey things. Wire transfers, even though it's all digital, it's considered an old-timey thing because it's, you know, filling out a wire form, sending it over the computer, someone else receiving it, and there's all this paperwork involved. It's too much for the bank because it takes a banker a half an hour to do it, making $20 an hour. It costs $10 to send this wire in terms of labor. Then, of course, all the overhead for the computers and all that. It's a, it's a lost leader. They're losing a crap ton of money. 92-year-olds write checks. 92-year-olds will go to the bank every freaking day if they're still able to drive and stuff. So Bank of America is not the bank for old people because they do all these things that Bank of America doesn't want to do. 
So whenever they see a 92-year-old person, regardless if this person has $40,000 like the person in this story, they're like, you know the phrase old money? That's what they think. They think, well, this old man saved 40000 he's 90. He's not spending it now. So when the hell is he ever going to spend it? Is he going to go buy a car? Probably not, you know. That's how banks think. That's how I was trained to think, guys. So, you know, that part's crazy to me. And um, the third paragraph of this says, Such agreements help conceal losses to scammers, consumer advocacy, limiting awareness of increasingly sophisticated forms of fraud that vic many victims already find embarrassing. Zell, 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 zell. Many of the scams spring from the billions of robocalls in which fraudsters attempt to dupe victims into sending wire transfers or buying retail gift cards. Now, I want to talk about that because a lot of these older people get scammed with, hey, we kidnapped your son in Mexico, or hey, did you know that your grandson is in prison in Venezuela, and if you send us a $500 iTunes card, uh, we'll release him. I'm not saying older people are stupid, okay? I, I'm not saying that. But they're more susceptible to believing anything that you see. The thing that I've learned at 36 years old is the people that are a generation beneath me, they're skeptical of everything. They, they're like, what's your motives, essentially, for every single thing that you do? And I love that. I love cynical people. I love skeptical people because I myself am one of them. My, my generation, kind of 50-50. Like, you know, we may fall for some things, but not everything. Old people just take people at their word for the most part. So a lot of these people who call them on the phone are successful in getting money out of these older folks. And it's really scary, you know. It's scary to see an old person duped because usually you'll have an adult son. In this case, they talk to um, the adult son of this uh, customer on here. And I've dealt with customers like this in my branch where the old man gets duped or old lady gets duped. And then their adult son just comes in like a bat out of hell at, at James, at yours truly, someone who has nothing to do with how crappy Bank of America service is and the fraud side. And, you know, it could be crappy in the branch, but the, the department that he's mad at has nothing to do with me. And he goes, what the hell are you guys doing? My, my dad lost $40,000 to some scammers, and I thought his bank was supposed to protect him. What the hell is your guys' problem? You're, you're ripping off an old man by not helping him. This bank is horrible. That's why they got bailed out in 2008, because of horrible crap like this. My old, my old man, my dad, has to live here um, for the rest of his life with less money because you guys didn't protect that. That's ridiculous. And in my head, I'm taking this punishment. I took this punishment a lot at Bank of America. And in my head, I'm like, whoa, cowboy. Whoa, time out. <laughs> and I would just be so upset. Not at him. You can yell at me all you want. It's fine. I'm getting paid to be yelled at. I'm at the bank. Because they don't have to have that conversation with the person. Because the fraud claims people on the phone will say, hey, this is Mr. So-and-so's son. And I'm really pissed off at you guys. Uh, Mr. So-and-so's son, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to talk to you about your father's case. Can you please put him back on or I will have to hang up? That's what that's what the fraud claims people do. Why do I know that? Because I had people call fraud claims in my office because I just didn't trust fraud claims back in the day. So um, this person in the article's name is Jim Feldman. He's the son of the old man who was nameless in this article because I guess he was embarrassed. And it says, everything seems like a black hole. Um, says Jim Feldman, who worked to help recover the lost assets of his father. The only way it seemed feasible um, to us to get anything was to go through Bank of America. And that's true. I think Bank of America um, kind of paints you into the corner and saying, hey, you got to trust us, and we're going to work really hard, and we're going to get this money back from these fraudsters. But we need you to sign this paper that says, 
um, that we're resolving the matter. I, I can't guarantee that you're going to get your money back, but in order for me to work hard to fight for you, sign this. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yell it out. How the f does not does that not reek of exactly what the scammers do to that old man? I'm I'm just throwing it out there. What the scammers said? Hey, send us forty thousand dollars, and you know you get this, that, and the other thing, or whatever. How is that not similar that what Bank of America is doing? Saying, hey, sign this, and we're gonna work really hard. We promise, and we're gonna get you your money back. But you also have to tell people that the matter has been resolved, even though we haven't got your money back yet. That's freaking crazy. How the hell is that? How do people not see that they're doing exactly what the scammers do? You got to have that mentality, okay? You got to have that mentality of, man, people can't be that bad, right? The bank can't be that bad that they're saying to basically lie, to say that it's been resolved when they haven't done a freaking thing yet, and they give you 10 days to think about it, or they're not going to help you. What, what balls do they got? You know what I mean? Especially since they have this new rule that basically says if we're liable for fraud, then the person's going to get fired from Bank of America anyway. So if that old man gets his money back and the bank says it was considered a performance loss, guess who takes the loss? The person who inputs the wire and someone's going to lose their job anyway. It's a no-win situation, guys. It's a no-win situation. Hope I'm not talking too fast here, so I'm going to slow it down for this next paragraph. Documents the family received from Bank of America stated that the bank wouldn't be able to start the process until the agreement was returned and said that the customer must sign and return the agreement within 10 days or else the inquiry will be closed. So here's the here's the thing with that. So when it says that um, the bank won't be able to start until he signs that paper, it reminds me of the old um, Prices Right game, the range game for Bob Barker. Whenever... Um, it's that little like red strip that goes up the price tag and you have to hit the plunger to stop it. And if if the price is within that red strip, you win the prize. So Bob Barker used to say something in that before the game started. He said, please don't stop the rangefinder until you want it to stop because we can't start it again for 37 hours. Get a chuckle. He had the same chuckle for 50 years with that stupid joke. I love Bob Barker. It's a stupid joke and people still gave him a courtesy laugh for that. But in reality, if they wanted to start the rangefinder again, they could. If Bank of America wanted to start the fraud claims process before the old man signs, they easily could. And here's the thing what they about the 10 days. Normally, you're not going to ponder that it's fraud until, let's just say, four or five days in. You're like, ugh, what happened to my money? What's going on? Oh, maybe it's a mistake. Maybe tomorrow it'll be there. Tomorrow it's not there. Maybe the next day, next day, it's still not there. I'm wondering, if I'm going to call my son or maybe I should call the cops. I don't know. So let's just say you get six days in to the fraud claim of the 10. And all of a sudden, you know, you go to the bank and they say, well, we need you to sign this form in order to say, um, to allow us to start the claim. But you can't talk to anyone about it. Otherwise, we can't help you, sir. So they give you the form. You say, oh, I'm going to take it home and have my son help me. And he'll help me fill it out and we'll send it back. How does Bank of America receive those fraud and claims forms? Well, let me tell you how they receive those fraud and claims forms. They, they do it by email submission or an attachment submission through online banking. Excuse me. So does a 92-year-old person just whip up the old you know, laptop or and, and submit a scan with their scanner of this document that they're signing and save it as a PDF and then attach the PDF to their online banking, submit it to the Fraud and Claims Division, and then keep a record on their Google Docs? Um, no, because they're 92 years old, okay? 
I'm not going to be ageist and say that most old people don't know how to operate computers. My grandma has a Facebook page, for God's sakes, and she's 80 years old. But a 92-year-old is not going to be that savvy to say, hmm, let me scan it on my all-in-one here, and then we attach this document, submit it, save to Google Drive. Okay, things look good there. Uh, I'm going to carbon copy an email to myself to make sure that I sent it. I'm going to... Um, Put a note in my little book here saying, sent email 5.30 p.m. on November 3rd. They don't do that. So what's the other way um, to submit this fraud document? Well, hey, you got to go back to the branch. But here's the thing. Whenever you go into the branch, now with one teller and now with a crap ton of people in line and um, a busy lobby, basically, oh, hey there, sir. How you doing? How can we help you today? Oh, I just got to um, fax over this fraud document in order to get my claim started. Let me take a look. I do believe um, we do have some people in the offices being helped with um, our bankers. Give me one second. Then they go look at their appointment guide and say, Hey, there's uh, Joe Smith that has an account uh, to be open in 10 minutes. And then there's a possible home loan coming in at 1.30. And then there's a car loan coming in at 2. And then even though he or she knows that the old man doesn't have an appointment, this is how they sell it to the old man. Okay, sir, well, it looks like we can get you in, but um, you don't happen to have an appointment, do you, by any chance? Well, I didn't think I needed an appointment. Yes, unfortunately, you know, we need an appointment, so... um. It'll be about a 30 to 45 minute wait, maybe a little bit longer. We do have some folks coming in who have appointments. Next time, go to the app and um, set up an appointment. Meanwhile, this old man is on a freaking jitterbug phone. He, the jitterbug phone doesn't even support the Bank of America app, for God's sakes, much less set an appointment on there. It's, it's, it's bullcrap, okay? So this person can never send an appointment because they're screwed. Um, it's just frustrating. All I got to say is it's like walk-ins at the doctor. I've said it before. Do you have an appointment with the doctor? No? Well, he'll see you, but it's going to be a little bit of a wait. And then you wait and wait and wait. They're to discourage you. And what if you have other things that you got to do? You're going to leave without getting this submitted. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to forget about it. You're going to put it off another couple of days. And then when you finally get a chance to come to the bank again to submit it by fax. Well, unfortunately, it was 11 days since we sent you that document. So we closed out the claim um, because you had 10 days in order to do it. So we do consider this um, uh, case closed. It is final as of right now. This person's out money. So that's how this works. Whenever they say you have 10 days to do it or it'll be closed, they make it so freaking hard to do it. Yes, the old man could have easily filled it out and signed and basically faxed it over at the same time that he got the document. I'm, I'm not debating that that doesn't happen too because it does, okay? Some people just want to get stuff done in one shot. But if the 92-year-old man's by himself and he just seems skeptical about even getting scammed and skeptical of the bank trying to help him and he wants to go help his son, you're punishing him. And not everyone has fax machines at home, sorry to say. you know. Every time I talk crap about fax machines on Twitter, um, eFax, um, at eFax on Twitter, always likes my post. And they're like just wanting to say something to me. I know like, yes, people still use faxes. No, they don't. Email has been around for 25 years. They use email, okay? So, you know, he's not going to fax it from home, so he has to go back to the bank, or he's not going to attach it via PDF from home, so he's going to have to go to the bank. And all of a sudden, it puts this undue burden on the banker who has nothing to do with the claims process with it, plus this document that the old man just signed that says, um, you have to say that it's been resolved no matter what, 
and you can't talk to anyone anyone about it forever. I mean, that is crazy to me. That's that seems more scammy than the scammers, to be quite frank with you. A Bank of America spokesman said that the bank immediately takes steps to recover money and support clients as soon as it's notified of a scam. Yeah, right. Shut up. In this particular instance, we immediately reached out to the bank that had received the funds. They don't call the other bank. Maybe the fraud department does, but there's no call. I promise you there's no call. I've been told this before. The spokesman added. The one criticism I have with the Wall Street Journal was they said the spokesman for Bank of America. His name is Andy Aldridge. And he's a spokesman of Bank of America. There's two spokeswomen. And there's one spokesman. Andy Aldridge is the spokesman. And um, he is a shady person. What can I say? There's no other way I'm going to say it. Uh, Adding that the bank had received the funds back and made the customer whole. Okay, yeah, fine enough. I'm glad that they did. We are always reevaluating how we communicate with clients to make sure it is simple and clear as possible, and we'll look into this to evaluate any room for improvement and simplification. I used to have a friend that I um, was friends with for a long time. I'm not a friend of his anymore. Long story. I wrote a book about it. Um, and I used to joke with my wife about people who use big words for the sake of using big words. And I really just, uh, this is why I loathe these public relations people. I'm going to read this paragraph again. We are always reevaluating how we communicate with clients to make sure it is simple and clear as possible, and we will look to evaluate any room for improvement and simplification. Okay, so you could have said, you know, we constantly double check to see how we can make this better. See, I, I basically I basically said what he said in like 5,000 less words. You know, like with my friend back in the day, you know, whenever, you know, he would say that he's thirsty or something and he wants to go get, you know, uh, a beer and he'll say, oh, I'm feeling quite parched. Perhaps we should go to the speakeasy and imbibe in a refreshing beverage. Hey, I want to get drunk. Let's go get a beer. I'm feeling quite parched. Perhaps a fine lager or a pale ale would suffice my thirst and quench it. That's what I think of when I think of this idiot Aldrich, the spokesman for Bank of America. And I think of my friend who's now an idiot to me. And I just think of, you make it seem like you're doing more important work when words are bigger. <laughs> I just I just, I just, just feel that and just, ugh, it just bugs me. Yes, they, they they should reevaluate how they communicate for improvement and simplification. Or you know what? They really need to learn to talk to their customers much better than they do. Period. End of story. And, you know, the whole article here is, is not just about Bank of America. I will give them that. There is something about Regions Bank. You know, with Regions Bank, I'm, I'm fine with, you know, them talking about smaller banks. I'm not in the business of talking about uh, small to middle-sized banks. You know, because if they have poor customer service, well, you know, people who tend to pick smaller banks tend to have uh, more savvy when it comes to when it comes to picking and choose uh, their financial institution, for instance. So I'm not I'm not going to, you know, pile on them. But, you know, the agreement itself, and then this is in the article, too, it says in some instances, banks ask customers to agree to not sue them in the future and hold them harmless as they seek to recover money. Such agreements are used in part to prevent customers from taking advantage of banks of fake claims and because banks typically have to indemnify the recipient's financial institution in order to recoup money for their client. And I understand that. I understand that there's a lot more technical stuff more than that. But whenever you give them a document, so you can't sue us for that. 
if there's fraud going on within the bank, if I was James the evil banker and I was fraudulently sending wire transfers of your money to someone and then all of a sudden I knew that my bank said that they couldn't help that person, I mean, you should be able to sue because Bank of America hired that person to do that or whatever. And I would I would not want to sign that document because Bank of America is basically saying, hey, you know what, we can basically do what we want at this point because you signed this document. And if you say, hey, we're not going to refund your money, and even though you accused my banker of fraud, it looks like he's on the up and up, you have no means of defense. You have signed your life away, signed your rights away. This is a horrible analogy, but I got to get into it. Otherwise, it's going to really bug me. So as I'm talking, the Harvey Weinstein trial is going on. And of course, if if you don't know who Harvey Weinstein is, he's the Hollywood producer who's been accused of you know, sexual assault with um, a couple of people, numerous people. And there's dozens of stories. It's the forefront of the Me Too movement. Now, this is why your bank sucks, okay? The Me Too movement, there is a podcast about um, sexual harassment that I really want to do in the near future. But this is not the time and the place for discussing this. I'm just giving you an example. Harvey Weinstein was known to you know, pay off people who were accusing him of such things with basically what's called a non-disclosure agreement, which is basically saying, well, we're going to give you this amount of money, and in return, you are signing your life away. You're not allowed to talk about this case. You're not allowed to talk about Mr. Weinstein. You're not allowed to talk about your time working for this company. You're not allowed to talk about this, that, and the other thing. And they'll hold your feet to the fire. If you break your NDA, they will sue you for $100 million bajillion dollars. Basically what those non-disclosure agreements are. By the way, I never signed a non-disclosure agreement with Bank of America. I got fired over the freaking phone, okay? So I got fired over the phone. I didn't get any paperwork in branch whenever I got terminated. Uh, when I talked to a Bank of America investigator, um, I wrote on a piece of scrap paper just basically detailing what was going on with um, what they were talking to me about. I never signed a non-disclosure agreement. So guess what? Why your bank sucks is alive and well because of it. Thank you very much. But basically, you're telling people, saying, hey, well, um, we're going to admit that something went on, but you can't talk about it. We're going to give you all this money. But with Bank of America, what they're saying is they can't guarantee you the money, yet you still got to sign in. You can't talk to people about, um, hey, you can't, you know, I'm going to sue Bank of America, or they didn't help me the way that I wanted to. You just got to say the matter has been resolved. It's It's ridiculous, you know, and... Um, they tell a story here, and I don't want to talk way too much about this, but it says, you know, the elderly man's family warned him not to answer the phone because he received scam calls, but he did anyway. It says the caller claimed to be with a computer security service. That's a huge scam thing, by the way. I saw that too many times. And the company had renewed the man's software for $39.90. Um, the man's father said he didn't have the relationship with the security service, and during the course of that, he gave the fraudster his bank information so they could refund him. He checked the account. The scammers deposited $39,920 instead of the $39 they're supposed to refund. So basically he put $39,000 more in his account, or so it would seem. So the man offered to return the extra money he saw in the account, and he went to the bank to wire the money back to these fraudsters. The teller asked him if he knew the person he was sending the money to. By the way, I hate when they say that. It's not a teller that does the wire. It's a banker. Don't put it on the lowest rung person in the bank, the person that may not even exist in a couple of years, okay? A banker asked him, and he said, yeah, he he didn't know the person, but he trusted them. His wire transfer was processed. Later that night, the man couldn't sleep, and he realized he'd been falling for a scam. The scammer's initial deposit to his account had been canceled. Instead of returning an errant deposit, he transferred 40000 of his own money. 
And my thing is, what happens is he sent the money, and by the time that money cleared and cleared within an hour or two, the thirty nine thousand that the other company fake uh, deposited into his account, um, that wire was fraudulent, and another good reputable bank caught it and canceled that wire, leaving this person out a lot of money. But a good reputable bank who um, knew that their client was probably being frauded, and this crook was using this account to send this old man some money. It's complicated, I know. Um, they caught it, they they reversed it, but guess what? The old man's out forty thousand of his own money. It's crazy stuff. There's no other way to put it. I mean, I used to catch these things all the time. I did a good, a better job than Bank of America fraud claims ever did. The Bank of America spokesman said the bank has significantly expanded the resources it dedicates to recovery efforts. Notice how I laugh when I when I read that. It's, it's such a lie. It's such a freaking lie. And has increased the its efforts to detect attempted fraud by spotting unusual account activity and alerting clients. That I'll give them to. They alert people for known transactions. Okay. Hey, did you go to Chevron for ten dollars? Fraud alert. And then the one that doesn't end up being fraud ends up the one that they don't help you with. What, whatever. But they do send alerts. Okay. I, I have seen those. I have gotten those. I'll give them that. So you know, the end of the article just basically says how other how other banks um, handle scams. Uh, it says Bank of America asked customers to sign confidentiality and indemnification agreements. Like I said, I've never seen those. And I don't care how long they said they've been around. I have never seen those. And my customers trusted me enough to show me everything that the bank sent them. Okay, period, end of story. Uh, JP Morgan Chase, the bank will investigate and try to resolve com customer complaints involving scams without an agreement, but may require release if a bank and the customer can reach a financial settlement. So basically, if the bank screwed up, it was their fault. They'll have them sign an NDA saying, hey, we'll give you the money back, just shut up about it. Wells Fargo said that the bank doesn't have customers sign non-disclosure agreements in connection with filing a fraud claim or the bank responding to such a claim. We are unable to provide additional information as we do not publicly discuss our anti-fraud strategies. <laughs> there's, my, there's my friend talking again. We are unable to provide any additional information as we do not publicly discuss our own anti-fraud strategies. Unfortunately, I'm not able to comment at this time. That's all you got to say. Citigroup says it doesn't require a non-disclosure agreement when it tries on behalf of a customer to recoup the funds um, the person has sent to another bank. When the receiving bank asks Citi to sign an indemnity agreement to recover the person's funds, Citi typically asks its customers to sign a similar contract to retrieve the money. Fair enough, that's normal business practices. But here's the thing, and this one was about Bank of America, even though the Wall Street Journal didn't say Bank of America screws old people over. Bank of America says you got to sign this paper. Otherwise, we're not going to help you with your fraud claim. We we know that it's fraud, but unless you sign this paper saying that you can't ever talk about it, even with your family, only other to say that the matter has been resolved, um, we, we can't help you, sir. Things like that. The simple fact that they use $10 words to, to convey this fraudulent notion that they actually protect their customers. And they don't protect their customers, guys. They don't. That's why I do a podcast. And, and the fact of the matter is that, you know, I'm, I talked about the other three banks, you know, the other three big banks that we talk about and why your bank sucks. Um, none of them have an NDA. Bank of America is the only one that has an NDA. Now, at the end of the day here, if this is new, if this is within the last six months to a year, I guess I should pat myself in the back for causing them to be that scared. Because here's the thing. People want to scream to the freaking hills whenever they get defrauded. People want to scream to the hills 
whenever the bank doesn't help them. I know this. This is why I have a cottage industry. I have a cottage industry all to my own because Bank of America doesn't help its customers whenever fraud happens. And whenever someone gets frauded, they want to tell everyone on Twitter. And I'm able to help them. I'm able to talk to them about it. I'm able to help them understand what to look out for. I love that part of my job. And yes, Wire Bank sucks. Torius Banker is my job, okay? I love this part of it. But considering that Bank of America, who's down 2% at the end of the business day, by the way, hey, you lost a couple billion in, in uh, market value there. Good job, Bank of America. Hopefully it's because of this Wall Street Journal article. Um, the fact of the matter that they're making you sign a document to shut up, even though they haven't helped you yet, and the fact that Bank of America allows this kind of fraud to happen and take place and literally sits with their you know hands you know in their pockets... And basically says, well, we can't do anything until there's a pen right there just signed by the X. And it's like saying Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. All of a sudden it's showtime and we're going to start fighting fraud again. Guys, it's ridiculous and it's another reason why your bank sucks. My name is James Baca. And I'm sure you can tell by this long subject matter that this means a lot to me. The Notorious Banker, Wire Bank Sucks, and my Vigilante customer service have rescued over $500,000 in fraud claim reversals, um, overcharged fees by Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and the like. Um, just instances like that where the bank fails. And the reason why these non-disclosure agreements scare me is, is it going to put me out of business? Hell no, it's not. Hell no, it's not. Because I, I won't let them put me out of business that way because these customers need help and these people do not help their customers bank of america is is for one group of people and that's the people that just don't bother them guess what a 92 year old man who gets duped out of money who doesn't use online banking and zelle who doesn't use the atm to make deposits who still writes checks like an old man does is not a Bank of America preferred customer the way that they see preferred customers. Preferred customer is, hey, um, you handle your own stuff and we'll be here. We'll be here. Just holler if you need something. And that person never hollers. That's their ideal customer. And I'm going to work hard to show you this with this podcast, with everything. Because I need to. I need to, guys. <sighs> After this brief promotional consideration, I'll be back to wrap it up. So please stick around. All right, and I'm back. Patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker, my friends. Donate a dollar or more to the cause. Support James. Support the project. Support the podcast. Why Your Bank Sucks, the Notorious Banker, really appreciates it. And thanks you so much. And, and the people who need my help appreciate it, too. Allow me to let this be my full-time job by just even pitching in a dollar, guys. I would really appreciate it. And you know what? We're making we're making waves. If this story has anything to do with the work that I'm doing, then I know that I'm making a scene. And I know that I'm making a dent And what is the gigantic machine that is Bank of America. And, you know, the other banks, I'm working on you too. But you know what? There is so much BS that goes on with Bank of America that they end up being the focal point just because I work there and just because, honestly, their Twitter is just astounding, guys. It's it's astounding. And I'm going to work hard to fight for you guys. I talk to thousands of people every single month who who know it's bad, but they don't know what to do. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm here to show you what to do, and I don't require a non-disclosure agreement for my help, guys. Thank you so much for your trust. Thank you to Myra, as I mentioned, um, for um, allowing me to help her to get her money back. That was really important to me. 
Uh, there's another person by the name of Soul on Twitter. I didn't get her full name, but I was working with her on um, a claim that was denied by Bank of America, and she's still working on it, but um, it looks like it's going to end up a happy ending there. Um, once again, thank you to Joanne for the donation uh, in honor of her friend Cheryl. It means a lot to me. Um, guys, I want to do this forever and ever because I really think it's important work. I could tell you crazy stories about the bank. I can give you some crazy opinions about stuff that I know a lot about. And I'm going to entertain you. And I'm going to make you laugh. And I'm going to make you think. But you know what? I'm also going to help. I'm going to bust my ass to help you guys out. So trust in James. Trust in Notorious Banker, the Wire Bank Sucks podcast, and my vigilante customer service. And we're going to make some big waves really soon, guys. I'm doing this podcast in advance of a trip to Phoenix um, that's going to start on Super Bowl Sunday for me. I am predicting that the 49ers will win the Super Bowl, 31-10. to 10. It's going to be a blowout the other way. I don't know why I'm saying that, but what the hell. That's my prediction. I want to put it on record. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how wrong I am uh, the next time I'm with you with an updated podcast. Um, I'm going to be posting this the day before Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm going to have another podcast sometime midweek that I will record a little bit later on tonight. So um, unless breaking news happens in between um, Sunday and next Friday, I won't be back with any um, current news until there's some breaking news stuff going on. But there's going to be another interesting podcast that's going to follow this in a few days. So stick around for that. It's going to be really fun. I need to get away from this home office of mine. I need to get away from... The monotony of it, you know, working at a bank is monotonous and it can get kind of stressful. My wife has a job training to go to and she has a nice hotel. I'm just going to plot myself in the on the desk right there in the hotel. Finish writing the book. Get that book out there because I need to make some money, guys. And it's going to be a good one. You're going to really like it. And I'm going to be on Twitter still at Bank Better, guys. Don't worry. If you need help, I will be there. But hopefully I'll get some swimming in. Hopefully I'll get some shopping in. And just see different things. I miss traveling. And I get to go somewhere for free this week. And I think it's going to be really cool. So believe me when I say the Notorious Banker will be around. Even though he's going to be... Well, it's not a different time zone now. Arizona doesn't have daylight savings time. So we're on the same time. But I may visit a, a Bank of America branch or two or three while I'm over there. I actually may open a Wells Fargo account while I'm over there too. So I may give you some reports about the service in person on a future podcast. So stick around for that. But uh, I want to let you guys go for today. Thank you so much for listening to my stuff. I'm going to link to the Wall Street Journal article in the show notes um, if you haven't found it already. Take a look at it and um, honestly comment on their page. It's really good work. And I hope to talk to those guys and other um, media outlets in the near future. Uh, sponsors 575-322-4127 or james at notoriousbanker.com. Voicemail lines also 575-322-4127. And... Um, Let's make it happen, guys. Let's shock the world. Let's fight for good customer service. My name is James Bach, and I just told you why your bank sucks. Talk to you soon from sunny Arizona. We'll see you then. Goodbye.